Good morning and welcome to Crosspoint. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we hope that you'll give us a chance to get to know you better. There's this welcome kiosk over here, and if you haven't yet, if you've been here several times and haven't yet come to that uh, welcome kiosk there and met whoever's standing there and handed you a packet of information about Crosspoint, we'd love to put that in your hands, and then we'd also uh, love to get to know you a little better. So if you would, please uh, stop by there on your way out uh, after the service and give us a chance to get to know you better. We are glad that you're here. Um, we are in Psalms 16. If you want to take your Bible and go ahead and turn to Psalm 16, uh, Scott Sutton preached on Psalm 16, verse 1 through 3, the last two weeks, and we're going to pick up with verse 4, 5, and 6 uh, this morning. I want to pray before we get started, for not only for our time, but we, um, we try to pray for another church in the area. Um, when we come together and we gather, we pray for another church uh, and what God is doing through them and pray for their pastor uh, and their leadership as they lead. And so we're going to pray for Travis Chappelle and Fellowship Bible Church. Um, I know many of you maybe know or are acquainted with him, a uh, very like-minded church that uh, he's faithfully leading and preaching there. And so we're going to lift them up and then lift uh, our time together up. If you would, pray with me. Father, we lift up Travis and his family and the leadership at Fellowship Bible this morning. That you are um, bringing great clarity even now as they prepare to hear from you. That they would hear uh, the gospel again, the good news. That you would encourage Travis as he continues to faithfully plod in preaching and teaching and leading and loving those people and that they would respond by following Travis and the other leaders there and um, that for how the lines have fallen for that church they would be pleasant because they're dependent on you and uh, that we would be in that same place we ask that we would be content with where you have us and that we would uh, enjoy you and our dependence on you again uh, this morning as we continue in these psalms um, and these truths that we are fencing our mind and, and fixing our mind on truth and not lies. We're thankful for the time together. We pray that you would speak clearly through me. And uh, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just mentioned Scott has preached through uh, the first three verses the last two weeks, and he said something in the first sermon on, uh, on Psalm 16.1. Um, he, he mentioned that the people of God, the mark for the people of God in their journey is one of desperation, dependence, and deliverance. And that is a theme that will continue, especially in Psalm 16 and throughout many of the Psalms. Desperation dependence, and deliverance. And I wrote that down. I think most of you probably jotted that down when you were hearing that sermon. And then Scott preached on, Preserve me, O God. This, this first verse here. And, and do we even need preserving? Many of us were faced with that question and maybe thinking, I don't even need preserving. And yet, so many of us are, like Clint said earlier, come to this gathering with so many different experiences. Maybe... You're drowning in something. I don't know what it could be. But desperation lies close at hand for God's people. 
And it's kind of the pattern of how he moves with us. Is this desperation, dependence on him, and his deliverance. And so, David, the psalmist here, says, This is what I need. I need for you to preserve me, O Lord. Right? In verse 1. And I have no good apart from you. In fact, you're the only place I have to run. And then... In verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom I delight. So I will run to God, and I will delight in his people. So that's the positive. That's what I'm going to do. Right? And then he now moves into a verse where he says, this is what I won't do. This is what I'm not going to do. Okay? So we get the, this is what I will do, and now we're moving into, this is what I won't do, can't do, is not an option for me. In verse 4, look at it with me. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So, First of all, sorrows multiplied. What the psalmist is, is getting at here, what David is getting at here is that this is not an option for me to look anywhere else. And it sounds a little drastic, doesn't it? When you see the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And you wonder, is this, has this been an option for David? Has this been presented to him that he would even consider going anywhere else but to the Lord? That seems drastic that David, the man after God's own heart, would ever even consider that. Or that would ever even be an option for him. It sounds pretty drastic. And I think at first read, I thought, oh, only dumb people do that. Right? Only lost people would do that. That would be very ignorant to consider running anywhere else but to the Lord. Right? And that's at first read, that's what I thought. Maybe that's what you think. Oh, that's crazy. To run anywhere else for comfort, happiness, peace, pleasantness, security, and stability. Running anywhere else is just dumb. However, I think it was a temptation for David. And I think we'll look in just a minute at a passage in 1 Samuel where it, it was a consideration. And it was put in front of him in, in midst of a desperate situation to maybe look elsewhere. To maybe consider himself cut off from God. The situation too difficult. Maybe I should just bail and run. Maybe that's my only option. And we'll look at that in just a minute. He says here that the drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. These other gods require death. They require blood. And it only adds to the sorrow to offer up some sort of offering to another god. Searching anywhere else and going anywhere else. The phrase we used to use growing up was, and I haven't heard it in a long time, but it's a jip. You know, when you get jipped, you, you come to a deal, you come to a place where you're looking for something, and you get the raw end of the deal. That's what David's saying here. To, to go anywhere else, for my affection, my interest, my commitment, my desire for comfort and relief from a desperate situation to go anywhere else, I would just get jipped going anywhere else. In fact, the sorrow that I'm experiencing will only multiply. 
going anywhere else. He doesn't even want it on his lips, he says. I don't even want to mention it. I don't want my heart to even consider the option. I don't even want to speak about it. I don't want to even talk about another option for me in a desperate situation to go anywhere else. Don't even want it on my lips. There's a battle going on here in David's mind, right? The Psalms are a weapon for David. The Psalms are a weapon for us in the battle in our minds when we're facing desperate situations, when we're oppressed, drowning, and whatever. The battle is in our mind to think, to outthink our own thoughts, our own lone doubts, to, to outthink what the enemy would say to us, to outthink what enemies would say to us. We have to outthink, and that's what David is doing. He's outthinking. He's thinking, I will not do that. I cannot do that. That's not an option. And so the battles in his mind in this psalm is something he would sing in desperation to say, this is where I'll go. This is where I can't go, won't go, don't even want to talk about it. Do you see that? that the, the battle that's going on in his heart, in his mind, to outthink his own doubts, to outthink what his heart would want him to do, maybe, or what others would tell him he needs to do to find comfort. And he's outthinking it with a psalm and a song. And it's his weapon against that temptation to go elsewhere. Turn to 1 Samuel 26. I think maybe this is where the context for this consideration may come from. Of, of why would that even cross his mind? 1 Samuel 26. We're going to get in on the end of the story here, but the backstory story is um, Saul is jealous of David, and he has been chasing him and wanting to kill him. Saul's son, Jonathan, is best friends with David. and He comes to David and says, hey, you need to get on the run. Saul's wanting to kill you, and you need to move. And so David runs in the wilderness. And he's, he's confused. He's hurting. He doesn't understand why Paul is wanting to kill him. Things are not going the way he planned. He's, he's not really understanding what's going on here. He even goes back twice to try and prove to Saul that he's not after him. And, and you may remember the story. You know, he comes and takes his sword into the camp in the middle of the night and the jug of water over his head and then delivers it back to him to, to prove, I could have killed you, but I didn't. So he's even eager to come back to Saul and say, what, what's going on? Why are you after me? Why are you creating a desperate situation here for me? Why am I on the run? And so David is confused. He's hurting. He's scared. He's wondering what God's up to. And so after this second time where he saves Paul, I saves Saul, he comes and talks across the valley and he's talking about, hey, I just took your sword. I just took this jug of water and I didn't kill you. What's going on here? And so Saul responds to him in verse, look at verse 17. Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? What have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my Lord the king 
Hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying to me, go serve other gods. So at some point here in this story, at some point he has been, the option has been put in front of him, and Saul has put it in front of him and said, look, leave You're not going to be a part of the people of God anymore. I don't want you here. He's jealous. He's covetous of David. And he's run him off. And so the option has been put in front of him to just cut ties with the people of God. And you go find another little G-God. That's probably the best option for you if you want to live. Right? His life is on the line. And here's an option. How about you leave... And you're cut off, and you just go serve another God. And David, so that's something he has to consider. And he has. And he's confused. Why would I go do that? He's conflicted here. And that's he's conflicted. And that's why he sings this song. I won't do that. But this is how he gets there. Because it's put in front of him. And it is a temptation to maybe just bail and go serve another God altogether just to save my life? Is that where salvation comes from? Is that where he will deliver me, really? Is that where I will live? Is just to move, move on and cut ties? So then Saul says in verse 21, I have sinned. Come back, David. Return to me, my son, for I will no, I will no more do you harm because my life was precious in your eyes. Behold, I have acted foolishly and made a great mistake. And David answered him and said, Here's the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord reward, rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today. I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now watch what he says in verse 24. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, So may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. So presented with the option to cut and run, to look elsewhere for comfort and peace and salvation and life, David does this. He does something here where he says, I'm not even going back to Saul. I don't need to go back to Saul. Because the next verse he says he went on his way. I don't trust Saul. I, I don't need Saul to save my life. I don't need his promise that he will protect me. I don't need to go back to Saul for stability and security. God will deliver me. I will not run to other gods. I will not go elsewhere. And I don't need to go back to Saul. The Lord will deliver me. Why? Because I am precious to him. And so that helps. That helps us outthink the temptation to go other places. And maybe some of you need to hear that today. The reason you don't want to go elsewhere is because you are precious to him. He will deliver. You can trust him. You are precious to him. David has to tell himself that. I'm precious to him. I'm not cutting and running. I'm not going elsewhere. I won't look to any other God. I can't. It's not an option. Because I'm precious to him. Just like Your life was precious, mine is too, and I will trust him. Now, I will not run to any other gods. Now, back to Psalm 16. 
This next verse. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. This is his response. I will not go get gypped. I will not look anywhere else. I don't need to go back to Saul. I will trust what the Lord has for me. And this is what he has for me. He has portions and he has cups. That's what he has for me. He has portions and he has cups. We don't hear David say, you are my deep well and you provide deep wells for me. Oh, you you provide storehouses full of plenty so that I have security. No, that's not what he says. He says, you are my portion. You give me just what I need when I need it. You give me a cup. You give me a portion. And, and, And so many times, don't we want God to provide plenty so that we can be dependent on and find security and stability and plenty? Thinking finances here, things, possessions. We want that, but David finds comfort in You are my chosen. And when he says chosen, he's not saying, I am choosing. He's saying, this is what you've allotted for me. You have chosen to give me portions and cups. And that's enough. And he delights in the fact that he will be given portions and cups, not wells and storehouses. I hope that makes sense. I hope you see that there's joy and delight and dependence with portions and cups. It doesn't have to be wells and storehouses. It can be portions and cups. And that is where David finds his delight. You you don't give me what I need in abundance. You give me what I need right when I need it. One day at a time. A moment at a time even. In desperation. I don't need to run anywhere else. But I'll choose. In the battle of my mind, I will choose to trust God and his saints with portions and with cups. And then he says, you hold my lot. What does he mean by that? You hold my lot, and not only that, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Not only, not only do you bless me with daily portions and cups, but you hold my lot, and it's pleasant. You will not cut me off. I am precious to you. No one and nothing in this world can cut me off from the inheritance I have. I'm precious to him. I choose to believe that truth and not lies. I will be content with my lot. Not only does David say, you take care of me, but you take care of me in a way, even in desperation, where it's pleasant to me. He's enjoying the way God's moving with him. That's contentment. There's a real contentment in this psalmist here who says, God, this is how you're moving with me. This is how I won't move. I won't be tempted to run other places. I will trust you. And how you deal with me is really good. And he's content with it. It's pleasant. It reminds me of Philippians. What Paul said in Philippians 4. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. And what is that? Dependence on the Lord. That's what he says in Philippians 4, 11 and 12. What's the secret? Dependence on the Lord only. That's the secret to facing abundance and the secret to facing desperation. Dependence on Him. 
David is content with where the lines have fallen for him. I have been uh, reading back through uh, this book, God is the Gospel. And if you haven't read that book, I encourage you to get it. There's several copies in the conference room over there. If, you, if everybody snatches them up this morning, then we'll get you another one if you want one. Um, this book has, is such a good companion to the desperation, dependence, and deliverance of God's people. That he is the treasure. He is, our inheritance with him is the, is the good news. It's not just the blessing of our salvation. It's not just the blessing of the life that we receive, but, but it enjoying him. And in this book, when I was reading this week, Piper says, especially for people in desperate times, people experiencing um, oppression, those that are just desperate, confused like David, why am I on the run? Where is the Lord? He said that the best part of the good news for them is that their God reigns. Now that comes from Isaiah 52. If you want to jot that down, I want to read it to you. Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. Now typically, we, we read that verse and Paul uses it. Uh, and he says that's, that's the good news that people are bringing. Okay, that's a, kind of an evangelistic evangelism verse that we say that the, if you're taking the good news to people and sharing it, man, your feet are beautiful. And that's a, that's a good and, re, and relieving thought that it's beautiful when people take the good news. But the key for people of God, the people of God that are desperate, that are hurting, that are on the run from whatever, the key for them is what he says in the very last phrase of that verse in Isaiah 52, 7, he says, what, what are these beautiful feet saying? They are saying to Zion, your God reigns. And David understands that when he says, you hold my lot. You hold my lot. You reign over everything. You reign over Saul. You reign over Saul's men. You reign over me. You reign over Everything, and you can be trusted. David would say, you hold my lot. In the midst of our desperation, we have a living God who's created all things. He is the king over the universe, and through Jesus now, he is exerting his authority in this world for our sake. We are precious to him. He is moving always in a way to protect and deliver us and for our good. He enjoys and seeks our dependence on him, and he enjoys delivering. He reigns. None of it, none of what's chasing you, none of what you're drowning in, none of it surprises him. None of it shocks him, and none of it's out of his reach. None of it's out of his control. Now, just a few applications for us. Number one, let's not invite trouble. Why would we invite more trouble? And don't invite more trouble by running anywhere else. We have so many options to run to, don't we? That David didn't have. So many false gods lie all around us, right? We don't have a ton of other religions pining for our attention. We're, we're pretty 
secure from that here in Texas. But we have little bitty gods, little bitty idols that, 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 that call out for our affection and, and for us to find comfort. And they're all around us. So many false gods lie close, but they don't bring real comfort. They're a jip. Don't get jipped. Don't invite more trouble by running to wealth for your security. Don't invite more trouble by, by running to food. Don't invite more trouble by running to the idol of health and fitness. Don't invite more trouble by running to your identity at work. I'll find real comfort if I'm just a good employee. If I'm doing a really good job, then I'll feel better, then I'll be comforted, then my troubles will go away. No. If you place your cards on your identity at work, it's going to invite more sorrow. It will multiply if that's where you're running. Companionship, shopping, you just fill in the blank. They lie all around us. When I read this, when I hear David say, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply, and I think about all the, the little G-gods that lie all around me that are tempting me to run to them for comfort. Um, Hank and I watch a lot of TV shows on, about Alaska, about living off the grid. Not the goofy family one, um, but the, there's three or four that are really good. And when, when we watch those, I'm like, man, th- there's less little temptations off grid, you know? You're eating what you kill and what you fish for. Not a lot. It just makes me want to go live off grid and take y'all with me. Amen. And take y'all. But, but the people of God aren't there, I don't know, I don't think. I don't know how many pe- people of God are living off grid or how many churches there are. Maybe that's our next mission field. Maybe we can do that. But that's the temptation. It just makes me want to just get away from all the little G-gods that whisper to me to come to them for comfort. James even tells us that living in abundance, like we do, is the harder test. It's harder than living in poverty. For the poor run to him. The poor are dependent upon him. And living in abundance is a great temptation. And it it is a God that whispers, come to me and I'll give you security. Come to me and I will pour a drink offering, pour a blood offering out on me. You pour something out on me and I will give you more. And it's a jip. And it only creates more sorrow. We must outthink our own doubts, desires, and realize that that's what our enemy wants too. He wants us to run elsewhere. Even in the little subtle things that are all around us. John 10, 9-10, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's talking about leading sheep and being a good shepherd. And... My people will find pasture. You'll find just what you need, the rest, the security, the stability, the provision. You will find it if you come through me. However, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is what David was pining for, I think. To have a shepherd that would lead him away from these Thoughts are considerations of other gods and to lead him to pasture. And he's doing that. He's calling out to God in dependence. And that's what, that's what Jesus calls us to as well. Christy's reading through a, or doing a, a Bible study. 
And um, she, she shared a quote with me from J.I. Packer. And um, we're getting close to wrapping up here. In light of circumstances of us being tempted to look elsewhere, he calls them false anchors, false places of stability. J.I. Packer said, still, in our desperation, still, he seeks the fellowship of his people and sends them both sorrows and joys. Why? In order to detach their love from other things and attach it to himself. And so I think it begs the question that we must ask ourselves. Does it seem like your trouble is multiplying? Is it getting worse? Is the sorrow just in the, in the, the desperation, is it multiplying? Then we have to ask ourselves, what have I attached to? That's keeping me detached from my dependence on him. What is it that I have attached myself to seeking that comfort and relief? Second application, just a few questions here. Are we okay with portions and cups? Are we okay with portions and cups? Are we okay with the daily deliverance and provision? He's probably not going to fix your financial problems tomorrow. So don't go buy a lottery ticket. Don't be looking for the windfall. That's, that's not typically how he provides for you and fixes your financial problems. It's in portions and cups. And he'll change you daily on the journey. Are you okay with that? Portions and cups? He's probably not going to fix all the parenting issues that you're drowning in this week. Your kids probably won't wake up Tuesday morning and go, Mom, you're right. I am always wrong. That won't happen overnight. But it may happen over years. It, it may happen in portions and cups where God changes your children and, guess what, He changes you in portions and cups. And the next thing you know, you look back in three years and there's been deliverance. And it's good and it's pleasant. And we'll be content with portions and cups. And the last question, are we content where the lines have fallen for us? Do we really believe that he holds our lot? Are we content with where the lines have fallen for us? Will we choose to believe that our life is precious to him and that he will deliver? Will we believe and enjoy the pleasant place where the lines have fallen for us? Why? Because he holds us and he reigns. Before we take the supper, I want to look at a passage in Luke 22. This is a, uh, the passage where Jesus talks to the disciples about what this means. And it's interesting and sweet to consider that we don't have to pour out blood offerings. That's not what we're called to. And there's a real sweet reason why. And when the hour came, this is verse 14, and when the hour came, he reclined at a table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, 
And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We don't have to pour blood offerings on anything. He already did it for us. Why would we run anywhere else and invite more trouble? His body, broken for us. His blood offering, poured out for us. Let me pray and then we'll pass out the elements. Father, we pray that you would guard our hearts. Guard our hearts from believing that anything else will do besides you. I pray that we would repent in this moment from looking elsewhere and running elsewhere. And that we would stop pouring out blood offerings, sorrowful death offerings on things that are a jip. And that we would run to the drink you offer us. Fruit of the vine, life. And we would enjoy the pleasant places where the lines have fallen for us this morning. In this moment, as you give your body and your blood. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.